Let's take it to the edge. Let's get the flitting. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Welcome to Knife Perspective, a knife perspective on all things that are sharp. Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives. Uh, Co-host Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives. Co-host Dan Eastland. And uh, still getting used to this whole host portion now that you've let me have have control. Well, I mean, your wife called my wife and said I wasn't playing fair. So what else am I going to do? I don't even know if my wife uh, listens to the podcast, so... We'll have to, I'll have to ask her about that. You know, <laughs> Beth does, and I really appreciate it because I hate to listen to myself. I know that's hard to believe, but I actually don't like to listen to myself. She'll listen to it for me and then uh, critique it. Yeah, I get to listen to you for the, the wonderful time of editing, so. Yeah, you're that's welcome. A, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gift. It's a little so, something uh, for you. Yeah. So uh, today we were planning on uh, having a person to uh, to talk with today. Do you want to give a little background on that, Dan? So our super secret, really awesome, amazing guest um, had to postpone because I think he's saving the world. I mean, it's either saving the world or life as we know it. But either one, he had a really important task. I'm not saying he's Batman or her, he or her. I'm just saying we've never seen them and Batman or girl in the woman, Batman, girl or woman, boy in the same room at the same time. That, all that's right. all I'm saying. So in order to save not just our democracy, but the world as we know it, um, he has had to post or she or they or them has had to postpone for a week. So instead, I thought this would be a really amazing time for us to share some of our experience, some of our, our tricks and tips and favorite tools in the shop. Yeah, sounds like a great idea. we do an overview of uh, a lot of the different equipment and some of the things that we love the most. Now we have a word from our sponsor. Uh, tonight's show is brought to you by Vodka. Vodka, making it easier to put up with stupid people in the world. <clears throat> yeah, I've had a good day. Why do you ask? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Uh, that's uh that's a uh, good old Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives for all your knife needs. Shut up and, and take a knife. <laughs> so uh I think we uh, kind of know how Dan's uh Dan's week went. I've been uh still getting back into the the swing of things from Blade Show. My my boys turned 3, so put together a big Costco playground swing set thing that took way longer than it should have to put together, but uh, started on some more Damascus knives for uh, order for my cousin. He's getting married in uh, two weeks, so you need to get get those on the. Uh... Oh, why, why are you starting already? I mean, if you start <laughs> now, you won't have to stay up till three in the morning finishing them. That's the plan. So I'm probably going to have to once we get done recording, hit the hit the midnight shift on that. So be be fun. Looking forward to seeing his face when he sees them. 
I'm kind of um, debating if I should take too many photos of it throughout the process because he follows me on Instagram and yeah, um, if he listens to the podcast, surprise. <laughs> no, he already knows he's he's paying for some of them. Oh, okay. Do <laughs> uh, you want to start off by saying uh, how you get inspiration for some of your designs? Um, I think you skipped the entire question section. I mean, we've had some questions from our listeners, and they wanted us to, to kind of answer those on air. All right. Uh, the first is, I think this one is really for you. It is, um, is Dan really as awesome as he sounds on the show? Uh, most of the time. All right. <laughs> um, it, it, that feels painfully honest. Yeah. Um, he's, he's pretty cool though. And then John from Knipsey, Iowa wants to know, uh, Kyle uh, has kids. So does that mean he found a real live woman that would marry him? Yes, it does. I tricked her good. Huh? Just don't she, let her sober up. Yeah, she says uh, she wasn't tricked, but I, I think that's the best kind of tricking. Uh, you know, the greatest trick the devil ever played is... To, wait, how did that go? The greatest lie the devil... Something about the greatest trick is you don't know the devil exists. Um, I need to go watch Usual Suspects again. Yeah? Yeah. That's probably yeah, not where the quote originally came from, but it's where I heard it. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, so now we want to talk about the insp- or how you got inspired for your designs, or yeah. do we have any more questions from our, uh, uh, from our no, listeners? That, that's all we've had so far. So, hey, guys, if y'all have got some questions, feel free to email me at um, – is it Dan at Knife Perspective? Or, you know what, yeah. we're just going to go with Dan at Dogwood Custom Knives. I, I check that email pretty often. Okay. Like – at least once every couple of months. So feel free to send an email at dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com. If you've got any questions, we'd love to answer them on air. Yeah. You can also uh, do the podcast at knifeperspective.com. Yeah. Also, the, that goes to both of us. That's true. That but forwards I'm, to I'm a little email. better at check. I'm a little bit better at checking it than Dan is, I think. You know, I, I, I have very few flaws, but one of them is I'm old and technology scares me. You got to embrace it, man. Embrace it. Um, you know what? That's what I got a kid for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least for a little while until he decides to go to college, right? You know, yeah, unfortunately. Um, I was going to make some comment about they may not get to college, but both of my kids are fortunate enough to get my wife's intelligence, so they're, they're going to school. Yeah. Although my youngest, he goes to uh, – they go to kind of a – a pretty serious um, private school mm-hmm. and my youngest loves to mess with kids when they start talking about going to college. He's like, eh, no, I'm not going to college. Like what? He goes, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to go to, I'm going to be a welder. I'm going to go to trade school. It'll be two years. I'll have a maximum of $20,000 student loan while you're in your sophomore year. I'm going to be on a oil platform earning over a hundred thousand dollars a year. I'll have my debts paid off in 18 months so your senior year, when you're a quarter million dollars into debt, I'm actually going to be making money. Um, I'm going to buy a simple house, uh, be conservative, start investing early. And by the time you've paid off your student loans, I'll be a millionaire. Yeah, that's uh, some good good things. There's a lot to be said for that. I always told them, I don't care whether or not you go to college. If you want to go to trade school, if you want to go in the service, I do require that you get an advanced education. 
but I don't care if that's auto mechanics, welding, machinist. Um, don't be a knife maker. Um, there's no future in that. Uh, you know, if you want to go to college, that's fine too. We'll support you, but, but it's not a requirement. Yeah. Um, but it looks like the oldest definitely is because he's absolutely got his heart set on God. I'm going to have one in the family. It, it pains me to say it in engineer. Yeah. yeah. That's not too bad. He, he originally wanted to be electrical electronics um, and then realized that hardware is where it's at. So he wants to be a mechanical engineer and is just studying code pretty heavily so that he can design hardware as well as write code. Okay, so uh, you wanted to know my inspiration for uh, for knives. That's where we were? Yeah. Um, so part of it is, is just natural forms. Uh, part of it is historical references. Um, like when I was started doing some of my bigger bushcraft knives, I really got into looking at trade knives of uh, the late 1700s, early 1800s. Because if a pattern has been around for hundreds of years, there's generally a really good reason for that. And then, uh, especially my handle shapes, but my overall aesthetics, um, the single greatest inspiration known to mankind, which is the curves of a beautiful woman. Yeah, yeah. You uh, you were you mentioned something about that before with uh, wanting to make making sure it looks sexy. Yeah, um, it does. One of the things my mentor taught me when I first started was it doesn't matter how good your knife is. If it's not attractive enough for someone to pick up, they'll never know how good a knife it is. So it, it, it's got to have a little sex appeal. An industrial engineer I worked with said it's got to look like it's moving. When it's sitting on the table, the lines have got to be angled so it looks like motion. Yeah, that's the the powerful line that they always talk about with cars and stuff also. I draw a lot of inspiration for my stuff from classic knife shapes and a lot of what I do is kitchen knives. So a lot of those shapes are fairly well flushed out, uh, but I like to do a lot with the handles, trying to make them as ergonomic and curved as I can. And I like to do a lot of file work on the back spine of my knives, which that allows me to be pretty creative uh, with that. Your file work's got a really organic feel to it. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, had a few few designs that are a little bit more kind of my ones that I haven't seen at least out and about very much. And then the, the thorn pattern that I do is, is pretty classic. I like the thorn pattern. Oh, I meant to say that the other question I've gotten a couple of times is, uh, can you make a living as a knife maker? And I go, the analogy I use is professional sports. So in professional sports, you, you got a couple of guys that are making huge money. And then you got a couple of guys that they're doing okay. <clears throat> and then you got a lot more guys that are making the league minimum. And then the overwhelming majority of guys do, just do it for the love and the chance to make it big. So it's possible to make a living as a knife maker, but it's also kind of like the chances of making it big in the NFL. Chances are you're just going to wind up making a good solid living. I mean, I guess you can make that argument that it's the same in any, any industry, but you, you got to do it because you love it, not because you're going to make money at it, because chances are you're not. And that way, if you don't make money at it, you're still happy. And if you yeah. love it, you got a better chance of making money at it. Yeah, I love that analogy. That's a, that's a good one. I I do it as a side business. It, back in our the first episode, we kind of talked how I got into knife making, and I missed 
being able to be creative and work with my hands and stuff. Uh, when I moved to Chicago and got married, I didn't get the opportunity. Uh, wait, wait, job. You're saying you got married and you don't work with your hands. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I didn't get to work with my hands at my, at my actual job. Oh, uh, okay. All right. That I can <laughs> believe. Cause you'll get fired for that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so yeah, then I, then I started doing it on the side and as kind of a hobby, hobby business. And now I just put in my contract to do blade for the, the third year in a row. So it's kind of turned into a little bit more than a, than a hobby business. Uh, you know, I, I started out as a hobby and then it was a tax write off. And then the next thing I knew it was a business. Mm-hmm. So it, it could happen. Yep. Yeah. So uh, go back and forth on if I want to do it full time or not. I, I really like being able to, to not really have to rely on it to pay the bills at the moment. So, well, you, you know, the best way to ruin a hobby, <laughs> make it a business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we'll talk about, uh, some of the, the, the important tools in our shop and why we like them. You want to go first, Dan? Uh, I will. First and foremost is my micrometer. Uh, a lot of people expect grinder or some other things. You can make knives. It'll be slower, but you can make knives with anything else. But if you've got precision measuring equipment, you can make exact knives the same way. So my micrometer and then kind of a second on that is a dial height gauge. And I use that to keep my, uh, my edge centered on the blade. And there's a couple of other techniques that you can use, but it is so much easier. And then a good scribe and a good square, but that comes back to, to being able to lay things out clearly. And then probably the unsung hero of my shop is a perfectly flat granite slab and a knife vise. Oh man. The first couple of years when I was working with just a, a regular, either a, a bench vise or a regular jar jawed vise. I did not know how hard I was making my life. As soon as I got a vice that could spin 360, it changed my world. I ended up making my first one. Uh, it was a Nick Wheeler type uh, knife vice that goes into the the jaw sec or the pipe section of the jaws of my vice. Yeah, oh, that's so a that good was. Idea. Uh, I made it so I could go all the way through, yeah, so it doesn't matter how long the the knife is, but uh, then you can turn it up and down and. Uh, spin at 360 degrees, which has been nice. I also have some of the the ones that like Pops Knife Supply and Texas Knife Supply sell similar to the one you have. Yeah, um, going all the way through is a good idea because on some of my kitchen knives, like the the 10 inch kitchen knives or the long carving knives, mm-hmm. it starts to get hard to work the handle because the blade has got so much flex and there's so much blade that's not supported by the vise. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna have to rethink things. That's a good idea. Yeah, I can I can shoot you some pictures. It was uh, I spent way too much time playing around with how to do it before I actually just did it. <laughs> really, but, uh, an engineer spent a whole lot of time in the planning phase. I, I didn't see that yeah. coming. Some of my most used tools are uh, a caliper. That's one of the ones I grab all the time. I've got a digital caliper that uh, I'm always checking my edge thickness and height and laying out lines with that. And then I also use the granite slab and height gauge to lay out my edges like you do. Files are some of my my oh. biggest used tools. I, I You have a ton of those and 
What kind of files do you use? I use uh, Nicholson files mostly. The Black Diamond? Um, they're green package. Right. Um, they're just, uh, or the, I use some chainsaw files and I use a seven inch extra slim tapered triangular file for a lot of my file work. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that works really well for doing, doing the thorn pattern. And then in conjunction with the files for my file work, I use a Inkra ruler. So it, they're really, Inkra is a company that makes a lot of precision rulers for the woodworking industry. Yep. And they have a ruler that has a whole bunch of little slots in it. And, uh, I, I set that on the back of my spine and then it just helps me mark out the, every quarter inch that I usually use to, with the scribe a lot quicker and faster. Yeah. I, I use uh Starrett, uh, for my squares and those are left mm -hmm. over from uh, woodworking days too. Nice. Yeah. We have a lot of Starrett stuff at work, a lot of precision measuring equipment. And, uh, my, my last one that I don't know if I, I don't want to ever go back to making kitchen knives without it is the, the disc grinder. That's one of my, one of my most used tools. I've actually never used one. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I thought I was getting my knives extremely flat with the, the two inch flat platen. Yeah. And when I put it to the disc, it just, it just cleans everything up a lot quicker. You don't have to do as much hand sanding. Huh. Just, I love, I love it. So disc grinder, really Kyle, I've, I've never used one of those. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really love mine. Uh, how how do you how do you use yours? Do you? I made I ended up making my own. Um, but do you? Uh, I mean, do you do you stand in front of it like you would with a? I mean, do you draw it across like you do on a uh, on a belt grinder or? Yeah, yeah. I I kind of put it at an angle so I can get most of the the flat on there all at one time. I use yeah. a nine inch uh, disc. So you can you can use the nine by eleven paper, uh, also. But I I mainly prefer the the pressure sensitive adhesive they call them PSA discs. I just find that um, the extra little bit that I save with gluing the paper on and trimming it and then um, grinding again, I just get too much out of the rhythm of grinding. Yeah, just being able to pull one of the discs off and throw another one on without having to trim trim around the edges just keeps me in that that yeah that mode a lot better yeah it keeps your rhythm so i made my own with a vfd and a, a motor and i used the nielsen disc we'll have a, a link to that in the the show notes but the the great thing about that is it has a magnetic plate that has st other steel plates that you can put on and off you can have them set up with different grits and go between the different things. So I have some of one of my discs with feather, feathering adhesive on it. That's made by 3M. So they, uh, then I can trim the paper and then I have two other plates that I use with the PSA so I can move those back and forth. So how, but how does it make it, how does it make it flatter on the kitchen knives versus the belt grinder? So the belt, when you actually are pushing on it, it'll actually make a little bit of a bump at the very top. Mm -hmm. um, at least when I've been doing it and you can get all of the flat on the plate or on the plate at one time instead of only having a two inch section that you do. Right. Um, so do you draw it across it like you would on a belt grinder or do you just press it in? I mainly press it in and mm -hmm. then draw it just a little bit. All right. 
and I used I use a true flat disc. Some of the people use a a one degree disc, so it's kind of a little bit tapered. I just hold it above the the center of the the disc. Mm-hmm. So I it, I don't want it to have that little bit of a concave on there. Yeah. Some of the the biggest companies that make the disc grinders are KMG and Hardcore. Uh, KMG has an awesome tilting uh, workrest table that I would like to to get at some point. Um, that would be more for doing some of the handle fit ups. I'd like to do some more with doing some bolsters and stuff like you and Andy and a few other guys do. And I, Hardcore is a... I actually do my bolsters on a table saw. Yeah, now... Part of this is because I used to do furniture making. I've got a, a very nice jet table saw, and it will cut a perfect 90 for me. So I've just got a sled um, that rides on two guides on the saw. Okay. I'll cut my 90s um, for the bolster and the handle on the table saw. Yeah. And then there's a, a way you can also do it on um, your belt grinder. If you take the bolster and the handle material and you mark the top of both and then you set your tool rest at 90 degrees and you press the handle material in it and take away the material so the the whole face has been ground and pull it off and then you take the bolster and you flip it upside down and do the same thing. And then if you're just, you know, half a degree off, when you set the two together, the the angles counter each other so it fits flat. You don't get a gap. Okay. That gets tricky though when you go to glue up because then it you have to line it up almost like a dovetail. All right. But again, I I cheat because I've got a big cabinet saw. Yeah, that's nice. And Hardcore is the other company that makes uh, a good looking disc grinder sand stand that I know quite a few people that use. Harbor Freight makes a twelve inch one. I know a few people use. The, uh, the, like I said before, the, the big advantage with a, a nine over a 12 inch one is being able to use the nine by 11 paper that you can get everywhere and use those for the higher grits. Uh, do you use a belt grinder too, or do you do everything on a, a disc grinder? I do both. So, uh, I, I kind of go back and forth between. So I'll do, uh, like after my heat treating, I'll do 60 grit on the belt sander. And then do 60 grit on the the disc, and that gives me a different scratch pattern. Yeah, on there to make sure that it's flat. And then I'll go 120 on my belt grinder, and then I'll do 120 on the disc, and then I'll do 220 on the disc. You jump all the way from 60 to 120. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that's a bold move, Cotton. <laughs> yeah. Well, doing the or going back to the two by seventy two grinder that helps me um, take off anything that I I kind of need to to do, and then when I go back to one hundred and twenty on the disc, so I I do those sixty and one hundred and twenty grit steps kind of twice with the the disc and the belt grinder. Because I'll do, preheat treat, I'll do bevels at sixty grit, and then post heat treat. Because I leave it about 40 thousandths thick at the edge. And then after heat treat, I'll bring that down and I'll go 80, 120, and then progress up to 220. Okay. And then I'll either take it up all the way to uh, 600 and then use a cork belt. Or 
I'll take it out to about 200 and then hand sand the bevels and the flats. Okay. Yeah, I usually go 220 and that's where the the ceramic PSA discs stop because you have to use so much pressure on the ceramic that then I have to go to, then go to the aluminum oxide paper. So I'll do 220, 320, 400, 600 and then uh, sometimes 800 and then I'll start hand sanding back at 400 again. Uh, what kind of belt grinder do you use? I use a grinder in a box by Polar Bear Forge. It was uh, a really good way for me to get a 2 by 72 inch belt grinder for uh, a little less money, uh, being able to put it all together myself and being having a machining background, I was able to drill the holes and tap the holes and oh, I bet you did be able to do all that. Yeah. <laughs> I tap, I tapped them good. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that's what I, I got. I really liked that it has a one and a half inch tooling arm. That That's, that's more of an arm than you think it is. It, that makes having a lot of different uh, attachments a lot easier. Coming up through Andy's shop, I used uh, KMG there. So when I was in his shop, I bought a KMG so there's uniformity. And then when I went out on my own, I was already using KMG, so I stuck with it. Do you just have the one, or do you have multiple grinders set up now? Um, I've got three now. Okay. Um, and I'll set them up for different different steps so rather than switching out the tool heads sometimes i'll have all three grinders running at the same time and i'll just step from one to the next one and work back across all three grinders yeah um and then you know i've got an apprentice so sometimes the apprentice is working one grinder and i'm working the other one that's nice i just have the the two so i have a two by 72 and the disc grinder uh, lots of times i'll set them up kind of 90 degrees from each other yeah and go back and forth working on them that way um, yeah, and I've got I've got three of the two by seventy twos. I've talked to a couple of guys, including you, that have been using the disc grinders, and that may be it, it might be time for me to to take a little time and and give that a try. Yeah, I use it a bunch for my uh, grinding my bevels on my kitchen knives, and I also use it a lot for flattening out after I use the the table saw or bandsaw for my handle material too. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where I use uh, a granite slab with a piece of uh, sandpaper contact cemented to it. Yeah, yeah, I use I use that too when, but when I'm trying to take a lot of material off, I'll put a, a sixty grit disc on there and take off the thirty, forty, fifty thousandths that I need to. So oh, I'm wow. not sitting there with my hands. Yeah, that's taking out a lot of material. Yeah, I need to get a better better table saw and bandsaw, but um, not the cards at the moment. Yeah, it. it Doing precision, um, you know, splitting, making a really precise split on a bandsaw either takes a really, really fine touch or a really, really expensive saw. Mm-hmm. I do, um, I split almost all my material on my table saw now. Yeah, I've started doing that a lot too. Uh, do you have stabilizers on yours? The, like, feather boards? Well, no, you can get uh, their, their metal discs. Um, they're kind of cup shaped. You can get them at Harbor or in that Harbor Freight, uh, Rockwool or uh, Woodcraft. Oh, they're like two inches in diameter, or yeah, so? um, or a little bigger, and they'll clamp on either side of the blade. Um, okay, and they help balance it so you'll get less wobble in the blade. Okay, 
Uh, it'll give you a cleaner cut, and it I think they cost maybe twelve, fifteen bucks. It's not bad. No, uh, it's it's absolutely worth it. If nothing else, it so, makes a a twenty dollar blade cut like a hundred dollar blade. Yeah, I've got what came with my saw is some smaller ones. They're they're maybe two inches in diameter. I have to check out the the larger diameter stuff. It'd be good to stiffen it up. I also have a, a crosscut sled that I really like to use for cutting up my liner material that, that helps it go a lot quicker. Yeah, and I actually use, if I've got a split, like if I've got a one-inch block that I need to make into two half-inch blocks, I'll use my crosscut sled for that. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll center on where the cut's going to be, and then I've got two blocks that are that are perfectly squared, and I'll clamp them to the back of the sled on either side to to hold that block square and true and then run the blade up. So it's just cutting almost, but not quite through the block and put a piece of sacrifice wood on top of it to hold the block down Mm -hmm. and run it across that way. Uh, Among other things, it cuts down on the chance of kickback. Yeah. Um, Because when I'm making those thin, when I've got a thin piece of material between the blade and the rip fence, that gets that gets me real puckery. Yeah. Yeah, I use some some feather boards that I've double stacked that I I use when I'm splitting the the blocks initially cuz my my crosscut sled I don't have anything to to bolt in like that yet. Yeah, and you don't even have to bolt it in. I just use spring clamps. So I just took a a scrap piece of uh it's actually my carta that's about 3 inches square. Okay. And cut it on the saw so at least two corners were, were square. So one goes down against the, the the bed of the sled, and then I just use a spring clamp to clamp it to the back of the sled. Oh. And then if I've got like a big block that I'm cutting down to, you know, three-eighth inch strips, I'll set one block at three-eighths inch, press a, uh, one of the stop blocks, just spring clamp it in at three-eighths of an inch off the blade. Mm-hmm. make a pass, clear that, slide the block down, make a pass, clear it, slide the block down. That's a cool idea. Makes it faster, safer, and is is more precise. Excellent. Cool. Uh, that's an old man trick. You don't learn about that on them fancy computerators that you use. <laughs> yeah. So uh, back to our, our grinders, though. Uh, some of the other other ones. Back to the grind, you say? Yeah. So the, the Bader three, um, one of the, all right, that's one of the ones that's KMG and Bader were the, the two, two of the first grinders that a lot of the knife makers used the, one of the downsides with the, the Bader and the, the classic KMG was the, it didn't have a second tooling arm slot. Yeah. So you were, you're kind of stuck with having a platen that is usually perpendicular to your plate and then trying to tilt the platen to uh, make up the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm running two classics and you just got to work around it, but yeah, it's still a pain in the butt. Yeah. Um, Black Fox one and Travis the Travis Wirtz TW 90 and hardcore grinders. Those are some of the, the more, a little bit more high end stuff. The Travis Wirtz and Black Fox One. One of the the nice things is you can rotate it ninety degrees and use it horizontally. Yeah, uh, I never really thought about it too much, uh, but a couple of weeks ago when I was at the Damasteel Kitchen Knife Show, I was talking to one of the the guys there about 
how he does his bread knives serrations and he said yep. he tilt, tilts it over horizontal and then uses a small wheel from that and he can see see it a lot better as he's making all those the same all those serrations the same so if i ever get a second two by 72 i think that might be one of the things i want to do unless i find some really cool high speed jig to help no one will ever be able to pay me enough to make a bread knife have you made one before I just, I, um, I have not. I have a concept of what it's going to take to make all of those scallops and make all of them symmetrical, mm-hmm. and I'm just not doing it. All right. I mean, that's a that is a boatload of man hours to try and get paid for. I made two of them now. the The first one uh, didn't turn out quite as good as the second one, um, but it didn't. It wasn't actually as bad as I was thinking. Um, yeah, the way I'm picturing being able to, to grind out the scallops and have them all even and symmetrical and polish all that. Nah. Yeah. With the, when I used a, I ground it super thin. So it was, uh, about I think eight thousandths at the edge for the bread knife. And then it didn't take much with a, a sharp 220 grit belt to, Right. Uh, make th- make that thing wicked sharp, and then hit it with a strop on the backside. Yeah, and it was scary sharp going through some of the hard bread that I was using. I could, but it was scalloped. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, serrated. Yep. Um, but you did like a chisel grind. You didn't do staggered serrations. They were scallops, one right after another, all on one side. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. It was kind of like a chisel sharpening, so it only got. Uh, it w- I ground the bevels on each side just like I normally do on all my knives, and then just put the put the serration cups on one side. Okay, um, so I mean the KMG, I got it because it was powerful. The tool heads were easy to change out. When I originally got it, especially after some of the the ghetto grinders I had been using in my basement. Um, it was the single greatest thing after about, I don't know, after about five, maybe seven years of knife making, I started to get to the point where I noticed that the tracking wasn't a hundred percent on them and I could tune it up a little bit, but that seems to be the, the price jump. I mean, when you go from like a Harbor freight to a KMG, there's a long list of differences. But when you go from KMG price point up to like the, the hard cords and that sort of thing, a big difference seems to be you know, the, the fine adjustment on like just getting dead balls tracking where it's perfectly straight. There's no wobble. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that seems to be, that seems to be the difference in that next price jump. Yeah. The, the quality, the quality of your belts has a, a lot to do with that too. When they, when they cut them, making sure that they're, perfectly flat all the way around yeah i have i usually use a norton blaze mm-hmm. but i have noticed every so often i'll get a belt and i'm like oof nope i'm gonna save that for uh for shaking the profile yeah. oh you know here's a good one for bevels mm-hmm. yeah one of the things that i found too is uh, kind of gets you out of your rhythm but if you just uh, push up real hard on the and kind of stretch the belt a little bit i've had quite a few of them true up that way yeah put a, put a lot more tension on it let it run for 30 45 seconds 
I've got a about a three quarter inch uh, wooden dowel in the shop. It's about almost about two feet long, and I can wedge that against the frame of the grinder and under the the adjustment handle and crank up on that. It gives me some leverage. That's an old man trick when you get weak and broken down. Yeah, you, you got to start using things like levers and pulleys. And well, those handles. One day. Those handles on the KMG Classic are pretty pretty short anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's half a hand. Plus, I uh, I tore my biceps tendon the other day, so. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not a complete tear, but uh, it was enough so that the my arm turned purple and swelled up like a sausage casing. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, an awesome, awesome visual there, Dan. So there's this thing uh, in Greenville called Euphoria. It's a big food festival. Okay. Freaking phenomenal, by the way. Um, but my friend who is a Dutch cheesemonger who lives in Greenville now, it late in life has taken an interest in boxing. And he's eh, 6'1", 240. Um, and has decided to box as an event for Euphoria. Uh, it's Food Fights, by the way, if you want to look it up. Okay. There's a whole undercard. It's this kind of shady underground boxing. I'm actually kind of excited. Um, but he decided he's going to box one of the uh, barbecue guys who is just a mountain of a man, formal Navy, like 6'4", 300 pounds. I'm pretty sure that he once chewed through a bulkhead. I mean, a beast of a man. So I told him, yeah, sure, I'll spar with you. I, and I haven't boxed since I was in the Army. But, you know, it's like riding a bike. You Getting punched in the face is punched in the face. And we had been sparring for maybe five minutes, and I went to hit him with an uppercut, and it felt like somebody had shot me in the elbow. I mean, I was absolutely done. I had to get help taking my boxing gloves off. It was actually a little embarrassing. I think maybe we should edit this part out. No, I'm leaving it in. But it is. Ah, shit. I am so screwing <laughs> you on show notes next time. <laughs> um. <laughs> So first of all, it has made working around the shop a little more difficult, and the apprentice has become way more necessary. But Beth was out of town. The kids were at camp. Beth was out of town. That's one of the reasons I was boxing in the shop at 10 o'clock at night. I go to the doctor, and we both agree it's not a complete tear. The bicep is still the correct shape, but, yeah, it's pretty messed up. And Beth comes home, and she's not noticing that I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to get away with this. And I... I go to bring in coffee for both of us, and I realize that the only way I can carry a coffee cup in my left hand is I got to keep my arm clamped at the side of my body and just kind of barely bend my arm to hold the coffee cup. Hmm. And you know, it, it's like a cheetah hearing the sound of a an injured gazelle. Beth's head just kind of snaps and looks at me and gets kind of squinty eyed. She's like, um, "Why are you holding the coffee cup like that? What do you mean? How do you hold a coffee cup?" I mean, this is how I hold a coffee cup. Suffice it to say, that ruse lasted about 45 seconds, and I got a thorough lecture about, you're not 20 anymore. You can't go beat up people in the back of your shop anymore. <laughs> Killjoy. Awesome. Dude, don't get old. No, actually, the only thing worse than getting old is not getting old. So, like, get old, but don't be broken. Hmm. I'll do my best on that. Yeah. 
one of the other questions that we get asked a lot is about what types of belts we use. Um, we have a, so there are four main types of belts, uh, aluminum oxide, silicon carbide, uh, zirconium, and ceramic. Those Do you all use kind all of, of those belts? Um, I'm... Because the question was, what belts do you use? Yeah. So I think I actually do use all of those because the, the, some of my 3M Gator belts, I think, are silicon carbide. Mm -hmm. um, so I use aluminum oxide on, uh, on my handle material. Sometimes I use zirconium for, like, Arizona Desert Ironwood. I find that I get a little bit better performance and it stays sharp longer using zirconium. And uh, I use ceramic on pretty much all of my my bevels and grinding on the steel. I ceramic is well. That actually, I started to say ceramic is all I use, but that's not true. I also use Gator belts at the higher grits, mm -hmm. but especially because I do so much particle steel, I use ceramic belts. And when they start creating too much friction and not cutting quite fast enough. They get set over on the handle pile. Okay. So the ones that don't quite cut well enough for steel are still good to work handle materials. So once it's worn out too much to do steel, it goes over to the handle material pile. And then I work it until it's either too broken down uh, for handle material or some of the really resiny woods will gum them up so much that I can't clean it out. Mm -hmm. um, and then I give it to the apprentice. You use one of those uh, rubber eraser things yeah. for when you're using handle material. Yeah, um, and I'll even use it sometimes when I'm uh, when I'm grinding steel. Some of the simple carbon steels, really, it'll actually gum up the belt a little bit. And you find that works okay, or yeah, it. Uh, I mean, it really extends the life of the belt. Yeah. Whenever I've used it on steel, I've always had not good results. Get a lot of waviness and stuff. Huh. Yeah. I, so I, I never use the, the eraser when I'm doing steel, but my, yeah, it, uh, that's interesting. I have to pay more attention again. I've, yeah. When I'm doing, it's mostly simple carbon. It's not even tool steel or I guess we'd say spring steel now, you know, like 1075, uh, 1080, even 1095. Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes that'll gum up the ceramic belts and I'll use the eraser to clean it. Um, when I was talking to the, the guys that were in the, the table right next to me, they said that for high carbon steel, that using the zirconium belts works a lot better than the ceramic. So huh. I don't know if you want to carry multiple belts, uh, yeah. but I'll give it a try. Um, although, you know, it, like at blade show this year, I had, Two oh one knives and everything else on the in the booth was car, was uh, particle steel. So I've I've drank really deeply from that Kool Aid and have gone almost entirely to particle steel blades. Yeah, the only carbon steel on my was on mine was the the Damascus knives that I did. I bought some fifty two one hundred, but I accidentally ordered the uh, the wrong size, so I uh, was a little too thick for what I was wanting to use it for. I did some machetes out of 52100 when we went to the Amazon. And then the first knife I ever made out made was 52100. Nice. How did those machetes do? Um, really well. So I learned a couple of things. 
I learned that I can make a really good machete. And I learned that I could never make a machete that had the price point between someone would pay that for a machete and it was worth my time to make one by hand. Uh, so my kids and I have, well, my kids each have one and I think I have one or two of the only dogwood machetes that'll ever be made. Hmm. Unless I, you know, unless I sub out to somebody that's got production capability because it just, it wound, it wound up being a $300 machete and I wouldn't pay $300 for a machete. Yeah. Um, How did the 52100 do in the hum- humid? Um, it actually, it did well. Um, I put a decent polish on it and yeah, everything usually gets mineral oil, but really it was being used so much that the, any corrosion was constantly being rubbed off. Okay. And in the jungle, there are no rocks. So if your machete starts to, to rust or get oxidized, you just walk over to a sandbank and chop the sandbank for a minute and it's pristine. Huh? No rocks, huh? No, it, it, it's crazy. Uh, matter of fact, one of the last trips I went on with Joe, one of the guys that came with us was a, a flint napper and he had brought some rocks and he was doing some stuff with the, the Matisse Indians and you know, was showing them how you'd make a chip that you could skin with or then how you could chip it in to make arrowheads and that sort of thing. And they were blown away because they've been in the outside world. They know what rocks are, but they had never seen them being able to work them as a, an edge tool. In the jungle, it's sand and clay, and that's it. Now, some of the some of the woods they've got down there, you can fire harden them and make them almost as hard as rock. But everything there is a friction fire. There's... You know, there's no flint and steel. There's, well, there was also no steel. And you'll see people just sticking their machetes in the ground. And at first I was freaking out until Joe had to remind me, there's no rocks. You're not chipping the blade. Yeah. Interesting. And the, the way they'll sharpen a, a tool is since there's not a rock, um, they'll rub some clay on a log and then they'll go down to the sandbar. And depending on where you are, given the flow of the water, on the sandbar, they'll be different, for lack of a better term, grits of sand. Mm-hmm. So they'll get some coarse sand and press that into clay and work the blade across that. And then they'll move down to another part of the log, put some more clay on it, and go get some fine sand and press it in there. And they'll get a polished razor edge on a, a steel blade just using clay and, and sand. Wow. That's that's really neat. Yeah, yeah You find a way. Yeah. I imagine those are helps that a lot of those machetes they're using aren't aren't that hard, right? Yeah, well, you you want a lot of flex in a machete, or it's just gonna it's either gonna snap or it's gonna chip out. So, I think they're tempered around fifty two, maybe fifty six Rockwell. So it is fairly soft. Um, so that helps, but you know, think about sand. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know, silica is pretty damn abrasive. Yeah. That's what we, what we use, right? And that's Dan's jungle tip number 302. If you ever find yourself in the jungle and you need to sharpen a blade, you'll find clay on the riverbank and you'll find sand. Um, the heavier particulates will fall out earlier. So the, on one section of the sandbar will have really coarse sand and another section will have fine sand. Nice. This well, could save your life one day. I hope you're taking notes. Oh, I am. <laughs> All right. 
So back around to some of the, the other things we get asked, uh, you want to talk about uh, some of your safety equipment that you use? Yep. Um, I have a nice, thick, heavy leather apron. Most of that is a throwback from my woodworking days. I used to have like a little denim apron. It just kept dust off of me. And one day a piece of kickback came off the saw and just missed me and sunk several inches into a sheetrock wall behind me. And I immediately shut down all the tools in the shop, went online and found a, a really thick, heavy leather apron. So that's kind of carry over from my woodworking days. All right. And then back when I was, among other things, I did all the buying for a construction company. I had a great relationship with my local Granger dealer. And they gave me a freaking forget about it price on one of the 3M 7800 series masks, which is really overkill for what I need because you can set it up to be forced air. You, you can do a lot of stuff with it. It's 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 got double seals on it. It's insanely over the top, but it is comfortable. Okay. But my super secret, super secret ninja trick, um, I figured out that you can buy surplus NATO gas masks, and NATO takes a forty millimeter uh, ring for the the air filter to screw in the mask. But if you get one of the the NATO surplus gas masks. And you get uh, the 3M part number is number 701 and part number 6895. And that's a little bayonet piece and a, uh, a gasket. You can screw that bayonet piece into the 40 millimeter receptacle for a filter on a NATO gas mask. And that will make it accept 3M uh, air filters. Huh. So the, I think it's the 6,000 and the 7,000, it's, uh, it's two bayonet lugs on the uh, air filter. Yeah. Yeah, you can, with those two parts, and you can get them on Amazon or Airgas or Granger. I think we put the, a couple of links in the show notes. Um, with those two parts, and they usually come together because it's a part in the gasket for the part, mm-hmm. you can convert uh, NATO gas masks to take 3M filters. Interesting. Yeah, it, it let me make a full face with eye protection gas mask. I think I think it was forty bucks for the uh, for the mask, and then the parts I think are seven bucks, five bucks. No, I'm sorry, fifteen bucks for the the three M parts, and I got a surplus mask for forty bucks. That's pretty good. So for f- fifty five bucks, you can get a full face respirator. Nice. Matter of fact, I'll do. I used to have it up. I will do a video in the next couple of days on uh, Instagram and show people how to do it. Sweet. We'll find that on the the knife perspective one. Are you going to do it on both? No, 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 no. Hey, I'm loyal. I'm flying knife perspective colors today. Today it'll go on the knife perspective uh, uh, Instagram page. Sweet. If either you or my kid will show me how to do that. <laughs> you can you can text me the video. I'll, I'll get it up there. Okay, texting. Which one is that? <laughs> That's the little green with the, uh, the little talking uh, sign icon on your phone. Oh, I thought that's how you sent dirty pictures. Well, you can do that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a bunch of dirty pictures from Dan now. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, you have to squint real hard to tell what you're looking at, though. <laughs> as long as they're not at you, that'll, that'll that won't be good. <laughs> so uh, back coming back around to safety, I I use the uh, the six thousand series 3M respirator, uh, the sixty nine hundred one, the large, and then I use the the pink gold multi gas multi vapor canisters. Then those are uh, part number six zero nine two six. And uh, I found that those have helped a lot with not being able to especially smell the, the G10 and different things that when I'm grinding those. My rule of thumb is if you can smell it, your mask isn't working. Yeah. And do you, uh, do you have trouble with the pink and gold clogging pretty quickly though? Um, not, not really, uh, but I'm not, I'm not using it every day. Like you are. Uh, I use them. They, it gets a little expensive because they're expensive, but my lungs are worth it. Mm-hmm. But I will take the air compressor and blow them out every so often to try and get a little more life out of them. Okay. I usually just change them out every month. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I I tried just the dust filters a couple of times, but like you said, sometimes you could start to smell the G10. Mm-hmm. And I would fast forward 30 years when I'm dragging around an oxygen bottle and I, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it it happens sometimes and that sucks, but I'm going to do everything I can to avoid it. I had thought about using the, the particulate ones when I'm grinding metal, but then I just use, never take them off. I, I'm the same way. I got one of, I've been trying out the, the easy dust masks, the, the thin cloth masks with the charcoal filters. Okay. Um, not in the grind room, but when I'm hand sanding or, uh, handles and that sort of thing a little more comfortable uh a little more comfortable way more comfortable because it's lighter and yeah you know, i i just need the like half a micron one micron filter to get the dust as i'm i'm hand sanding but uh i i caught myself i wasn't wearing one while i was hand sanding and this may be a little children should probably not listen to this this may be a little disturbing if you have a gentle stomach but uh when I started sneezing brown, I realized I probably needed to be wearing something even when I was just hand sanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing how Ooh. quickly how quickly you, those particles float around too. Yeah. I really hope my medical insurance provider didn't just hear that. <laughs> All right. So we're going to need to edit that out. <laughs> no. Uh, so uh, those were the, the questions that, that uh, we had in the notes. Do you have anything else to to talk about? Um, that depends. Ooh, we're at 50, uh, 59 minutes and eight seconds. So really, I just need to stall for another like fifty seconds. We're rounded off to a minute. We're awesome. Yeah. Um. So we got the the metallurgist coming up, mm-hmm. and we've got the the other super secret guest coming up. Yep. So those will be the next two shows. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for both of those people. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got a, I hope he's prepared. I have a long list of questions for the, your meddler. I'm sorry. What was his name? Jared. Jared. Um, I hope Jared is prepared to be really patient and use small words for me. Cause I got a lot of questions. Yeah. He's really good at explaining all that stuff. He has to, he has to do it to the executive. So he's got to make him be, or do the, the baby <laughs> language. So, so he can use tiny words. Yeah. <laughs> 
It doesn't doesn't use only two dollar words. But. That's good because I'm a knife maker, so I'm pretty much broke. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right, let's uh, let's tell people where where they can find us. We can find oh, yeah. uh, find Dan on uh, the social media. You want to do that? Uh, we've got um, the the Facebooks. We're on the Facebooks as Dogwood Custom Knives. We're on the Instagrams as shockingly enough, dogwood custom knives. Um, or if you have some random questions, you want to know, you know, uh, well, pretty much anything, meaning of life, whatever I'm at, uh, orders at dogwood custom knives or Dan at uh, knife perspective. And questions for the podcast. You can get a hold of us at podcasts at knifeperspective.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me, Kyle Daly and, uh, Cage Daily Knives on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, I've got a YouTube channel uh, that I talk about or talk through some of my file work and heat treating. So check those out. And uh, you can always find us on knifeperspective.com where we have links to all of the, the shows on Apple Podcasts, there's Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So and if there's not your favorite podcast app that we're not on, uh, shoot us a message at podcasts at knifeperspective.com and we'll do our best to make sure that it's supported. Hey, do we have outro music yet? I know we got intro, but do we have outro yet? Yeah, we do. Oh, do we? Sweet. Yeah, well, let's we'll roll that. that sweet, sweet outro music. And that's uh, Tom the Brit. Yes. Um, he also does, oh, shit. Okay. Um, God, Tom the Brit is kind of almost his real name, so I can't – eh, screwed. He never listens to this podcast anyway. Uh, he also does a podcast called The Mystery Layer. Oh. Give him a follow if you uh, want to listen to some other sweet uh, – I assume that's uh, a music podcast? Actually, surprisingly, no. Um, they focus on really important topics of the day such as alien abduction – uh, hauntings, uh, Bigfoot sightings, um, conspiracies. Hopefully very shortly they're going to have a serious and in-depth discussion on knives. Um, did you happen to see Bigfoot made an appearance in the, the pit at Blade Show? He did. Um, yeah. I think we're married now. <laughs> I don't even want to know what happened to happened with that. <laughs> Um, and apparently she foot left her underwear at the, um, uh, USA made blade booth. <laughs> yeah. That was an awesome, awesome picture on, uh, TM hunt's, uh, Instagram page. If you, uh, if you don't follow TM hunt on Instagram, you need to give uh TM hunt custom knives, a, uh, a follow. He's, uh, he had a, he had a great, uh, great picture of what was on the, the booth at USA made blade. Um, that, that's all I got to say about that. All right. And here's uh, Tom, the Brit. Thanks. Thanks everybody for listening and, uh, let us know if you have any more questions for upcoming shows and, uh, have a great, great one. Thanks guys. Well, let's take it to the edge. Cause that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna talk about